Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or the 10 other platforms that we're on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. Penn State Athletics, Kevin Adams. Ball State Athletics, Paul Havocott. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a second-round NFL draft pick out of Arkansas. Played with the Cowboys, Ravens, Colts, and Seahawks. He's a member of the 2003 NFL All-Rookie Team, and he's a pro bowler in 2007. It's safety Ken Hamlin. Ken, thank you for joining us. I appreciate y'all having me on, man. Uh, definitely, it's always good to talk a little football, so uh, I definitely don't mind it. Excellent, excellent. Tonight's debate is going to be the top five Seattle Seahawks defenders of all time. And afterwards, as usual, we'll have our Q&A with Ken about his career. We're going to jump right into this, and we're going to start with uh, Cam Chancellor. Chancellor was a strong safety for the Seahawks, uh, played college football at Virginia Tech prior to being drafted to the Seahawks. He was drafted in the fifth round of the 2010 NFL Draft. He's a four-time Pro Bowler in a very short career, unfortunately. His career ended, ended early. Uh, he only played eight seasons, so half of his career he was actually voted into the, the Pro Bowl. Uh, he was one of the key members of the Legion of Boom, great, one of the greatest defensive uh, uh, teams in, in the history of the NFL. Uh, he also helped the Seahawks to a victory in the Super Bowl over the Broncos, uh, which was actually um, tied for the third largest margin um, of a victory in a Super Bowl. Um, as I mentioned, he had a shorter career that was due to a neck injury, unfortunately. He suffered two years prior to his retirement um, in 2019. Um, and actually, he didn't play that last season of his career either. Um, he was a two-time second-team All-Pro, two-time Steve Largent Award uh, recipient, which is given to a Seahawks player that showed uh, integrity, dedication, and spirit, just like Steve Largent did. Um, he uh, finished with 12 interceptions, which was ranked some 18th all-time in Seahawks history. Again, remember, only eight seasons. Uh, he had 607 tackles. Uh, in 2017, despite only playing in, in nine games that season, which is when he suffered the neck injury, uh, he was still ranked uh, 75th by his peers in the NFL Top 100 Players of 2018. Uh, he was a solid safety whose career ended early. He made a huge impact on the Seattle defense uh, in that short amount of time. He was a fan favorite in Seattle. Uh, he had 44 pass deflections, putting him 11th all-time in, in Seahawks history. Uh, just a shame that his career, I think, you know, ended too, too, too early. So, Ken, we had uh, 
Bryant McFadden on the show, we were talking defenses, and he's got the Legion of Boom as I think he had them as, as the second greatest defense of all time. We've got three or four guys tonight on this list from the Legion of Boom. I mean, what are your thoughts on that defense as a whole? Well, defense as a whole, I mean, you think about the guys they had on there, just in the back, in the defensive backfield. I mean, they had some some All-American all type players, uh, him, Earl Thomas, uh, you know, Richard Sherman at corner, and then a lot of complimentary guys to add to that. Uh, and then you add a Bobby Wagner at linebacker. You add some guys at the front that really uh, knew their position and played it well. I think they, they were an aggressive defense. They were a team that definitely – definitely attacked offenses, didn't sit back and wait. And then you had some headhunters on the back end when you really could still, you could still put a little, a, a little, a little wood to some guys. Um, it, it, it made it a great, a, a great team and a great defense to watch. Absolutely. And Cam Chancellor, I mean, the guy's career ended too early. I mean, your thoughts on him? Oh, Cam, Cam I mean, a hard hitter. Uh, the biggest thing with him, though, is that not even just with his hard hits. I mean, I think you just mentioned a little bit of it. His 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 pass protection and how he covered. I mean, he wasn't just covering corner, uh, just covering tight ends. I mean, he was covering some slot receivers. So his covering ability made him even more of an all around type of player. To where you, you see a lot of guys who just hit hard and that's all they can do. But this guy could get out and cover. He could he could play all three downs which was big at that safety position to be able to be out there on third down and be dependable be a guy that you can count on regardless of is he in coverage or if he's playing the free safety position where he, he can lurk a little bit. And then of course, to add pressure on the quarterback, uh, he did that uh, better than, better than a lot, a lot of people. So, I mean, I think that he, he's definitely a big piece of why that team and that nickname really stuck. Let's move on to Kenny Easley. All right, we're talking to one Ken about another Kenny. And uh, Kenny Easley, top performer here out of UCLA, only only around 200 pounds, played seven seasons of the Seahawks, college and pro football Hall of Famer. Uh, played for the Seattle Seahawks from 81 to 87, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 84, four-time first-team All-Pro 82 through 85, second-team All-Pro in 87, five-time Pro Bowler, PFWA All-Rookie Team, NFL 1980s All-Decade Team, Seattle Seahawks Ring of Honor, uh, three-time consensus All-Americans from 78 to 80. And uh, he finished with 32 interceptions, 538 uh, interception yards, three touchdowns and eight sacks. Uh, Easley was the fourth overall pick in the 81 draft. He became an immediate starter and rookie in uh, 1981, recording three interceptions for 155 yards and one touchdown, earning him AFC Defensive Rookie of the Year honors. In uh, 83, Seahawks hired Chuck Knox as their head coach and easily immediately became a backbone of Knox's defense. In the first season playing for Knox, he won an AFC Defensive Player of the Year award, recorded seven interceptions. In 1984, he led the NFL in interceptions with 10 and tied the club record. I feel like, though, if Kenny was watching, he'd want me to bring up some issues that kind of had him part ways with the Seahawks. You see, he only played seven seasons. Kind of reminds me of Kevin's guy there. But there's reports out there that said some team doctors recommended he take 15 to 20 Advils daily for three months to reduce the swelling on an ankle injury until finally a doctor intervened. But he ended up developing idiopathic nephrotic syndrome, which is a severe kidney disease that voided a trade that Seattle was trying to put together with Phoenix for a quarterback for Kenny. I think it was um, – Kelly Stouffer, 
But 15 years later, new management, new ownership, and uh, he's back in the ring of honor because uh, Paul Allen said, if you don't accept the ring of honor, then no other players will receive the honor again. So he went ahead and accepted it. And that's uh, Ken Easley. So from one Ken to another, like Paul said, I mean, your thoughts on Easley, uh, he kind of was the, the first big-name backfield defender for the Seahawks. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that you talk about safeties in Seattle, you got to start with him. Uh, he, he, he did a great job of, of really setting the tone for what the safety position, especially in that, in, on that team and what it was about, what it meant, and, uh, and just playing the position itself. I mean, this is another guy you would say is undersized but played bigger than his size went out and made plays in all different areas. Um, definitely respectful. I, I respected his game. And, and, and I think that a lot of similarities that, that I sort of seen in him, I saw in my game uh, here and there, whatever. This guy was, this guy was, was definitely well before his time and a guy that played a position at a high level throughout. I mean, you think about what, what, what you have to do at a safety position to get that type of clout and get that type of, uh, of just not, of, of just acknowledgement from the league and for him to become defensive player of the year at, at that safety position, that is huge. I mean, and, and you haven't seen it. I mean, you don't see it often at that position. So, I mean, he, he's one of the top guys at that position and not just on the team, but in, in the league itself. So um, he, he's definitely uh, a top tier safety and a guy that, that a lot of people should mimic and, and uh, mold their game after. Let's talk about another top tier 60. That's they got a lot of great safeties in Seattle's history here. Earl Thomas, so 2010 to 2018 with Seattle, um, obviously a member of the Legion of uh, Boom there. He's got 28 interceptions, with this, which is sixth best all-time for Seattle, and he's fifth in interception yards. Um, he's tied for third in all-time for the Seahawks in forced fumbles and tenth in tackles. So he's in that top ten in pretty much most of the statistics that we look for in a defender here. Six Pro Bowls with the Seahawks, um, three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team. Of course, um, 2013, he won that Steve Largen Award that Kevin had talked about earlier. Um, you know, and then just his two Super Bowl games, he got seven tackles and a pass uh, deflection there in the Super Bowl against Denver when they absolutely annihilated Denver. Then he got nine tackles the next year against New England. Um, ferocious hitter, great pass defender. You know, there's not too much that – Good. That couldn't be said about Earl. Earl, he's that great. So, Ken, let me ask you. Um, I. It seems like every time there's a star in the league, they 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 try and prolong their career just one more year, and they go play for a team, and they just don't look right in that jersey. I mean, is that just like the athlete in them, or you know, what are what are your thoughts when that when that occurs? Well, I always tell people. I mean, certain people can can look great in one system. And then they look like they, you know, they don't belong in the league in another system. And I think that's really, it depends on the system. Um, in Seattle, they, they developed a trust in, in Cam and in, and in Earl to where they could do things and, and sort of play their game and be how they naturally were out there. When you go to a different system, a lot of times that defensive coordinator and that coach, they want you to play a, a different system, a different way. And it doesn't fit your mold. It doesn't fit your style, especially when you've been playing it so long and, and you've been successful at it. So you're sort of stingy in the fact that you you know what you're doing and how you played the game and how you got all these accolades. So to go to another team and to, for that to be changed and, and uh, now you have to 
sort of hold back your your ability a little bit to to fit the mode of the entire team. It changes a lot of things, and um, and I, I think it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't take away from the, the player. I mean, Earl is is a great player and has been a great player, um, and and he showed that. So I, I don't think that it was his ability that was leaving. It was just that the fact that when you get with a different squad. A lot of times that that system and that that mode doesn't work. And that's it happens with a lot of guys who get drafted to a team and then they call them a bust. But then they go to another team and they start succeeding. It's just that sometimes it doesn't fit the mode. You don't play them in the right position at the right at the right way. And uh, I mean, they got to find their way into the league and try to find their way onto that team. Let's stick with the secondary. We're going to go Eugene Robinson. All right. Eugene Robinson, free safety. Uh, 6'1", 200 pounds. Um, he's, he was with the Seahawks from 85 to 95, so 11 seasons, and a couple years with the Packers, a couple years with the Falcons, and one year with the Panthers. Um, he ended up getting two Pro Bowls, one All-Pro uh, selection. Uh, the Seahawks really weren't very good during his career, but it was definitely not because of Robinson. Um, he was very good in coverage. He was a sure tackler, a hard, hard hitter. I uh, wasn't afraid to come up and run support. Um, he also made an impact in the form of takeaways. Uh, during his time in Seattle, he had 41 interceptions. He forced 10 fumbles, and he recovered 15 fumbles. So that's a total of 67 takeaways. Um, and in 1993, he led the NFL with nine interceptions. Four times he topped 100 tackles in the season with Seattle, uh, and this guy was about as durable as they come. 170 out of 172 possible uh, games played uh, as a Seahawk. Uh, he turned out to be that sort of missing you know, piece to the championship puzzle. 96, he went to the Packers, helped them to a couple Super Bowls. Um, then in 98, he went to Atlanta, helped them to a Super Bowl as well. Uh, but my, I think my favorite thing about Eugene Robinson was really like how he defied the odds. Um, he was an undrafted free agent from Colgate, and he, uh, you know, he, he was able to walk onto the, the Seahawks and made the team. Then in 1989, uh, Chuck Knox brought in veteran Johnny Johnson to replace Robinson, uh, but he kept fighting. He kept the job, and he continued playing at a very high level for many years. So, Ken, if an average football fan is probably saying, who is Eugene Robinson? If you know football, you know who he is. But if you're just like the casual fan, you're probably saying, who is that? If this guy played in Dallas or Pittsburgh or New York, is he a household name? Definitely is. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, especially during that time when he played, Seattle didn't have a, a, brick, a big light shining on it. So, I mean, a lot of guys got, got sort of mistaken and, and didn't get looked at up there. But, I mean, he, he's a guy, I mean, I think you, you spoke about it. He, this guy is an all-around safety. He's a guy that you can depend on to make the play. He's, a, he's also a guy that he's not coming off. And this is the big thing about what I sort of wanted to be, which is a, a guy that doesn't come off the field, a, a guy that, that you doesn't matter what third down, doesn't matter what, what, what formation or what, what package they're bringing in, I'm going to be on the field. And that's what he was. He was a guy that was going to be on the field. He was a guy that can make the play and actually make the big play to get you off the field and get the offense the ball back. So um, definitely, definitely, I think it's because of where he was and the time that he was there that he didn't get the uh, the notoriety that he probably would have got if he was at a Dallas or a big market, Pittsburgh, something like that. But, um, but I mean, the, the years that he played, the, the durability that, that he played with, 
and and the 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 way that he can go to another team and make an impact immediately, it showed what type of player he was. Let's move on to another corner, Richard Sherman. Sherman, uh, still playing. Uh, played his college ball for Stanford, and he actually started his career as a wide receiver, but then moved to cornerback uh, as a junior. Uh, he was drafted by Seattle in the fifth round of the 2011 draft. Since entering the league, he has the most interceptions and defended passes of any active player. Uh, he was selected to the Pro Bowl five times, voted all pro five times, included three times to the first team and one time to the second team while he was with the Seahawks. Uh, led the NFL in interceptions in 2013 uh, when he helped the Seahawks win their first Super Bowl. Again, part of the Legion of Boom, um, which contributed to Seattle having the best pass defense in the NFL in 2013. Um, of course, you know, they destroyed uh, Denver, as we had already mentioned. Uh, they, they also made it to the Super Bowl the following year. Uh, defense was a big part of that. Unfortunately, <laughs> there was a bad offensive call at the end of that game. Uh, but we won't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but during his time with the Seahawks, uh, they led uh, the league in scoring defense for four straight years between 2012 and 2015. He definitely had a big part of that, making them the first team to do that since the 1950 Cleveland Browns. Um, he was awarded Steve Larkin Award also in 2015. He's part of the NFL 2010 All-Decade team. With the, with the Seahawks, he recorded 32 interceptions, putting him fourth all-time for Seahawks players. 99 pass deflections, putting him second all-time uh, for Seahawks players. And that was just in seven seasons. And SI.com put Sherman in the top 10 best Seahawks player of all time, including offense. So he definitely has a strong argument tonight. Ken Sherman's very uh, outspoken. We'll put we'll put it like that. And uh, just like, how much of a shock was it for you when we find out that Sherman's going to San Francisco, the biggest rival of Seattle? I was just like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I think that was uh, somewhat of a mistake. And then, um, to, yeah, to let him go into the division, um, knowing what type of player he was, and then mentally what type of player he was. This guy, I mean, I, I would love to see him running routes and stuff in college, whatever, at wide receiver, because it, it, the way that he moved just wasn't, like, conventional, but he got the job done. And I think it was more of his preparation. His preparation for games were, were, were better than, than a lot, if not everybody. And uh, it, it got him in the right places at the right time. It, he knew what, what the offense and what the wide receivers were going to do, and he played those routes perfectly. I mean, this guy, this guy, I mean, he's done everything you could possibly do at the corner position. And, uh, and and I think his longevity shows the type of knowledge that he has to be able to play, getting older, but still using his knowledge of the game and, and his and his study habits to keep him going on. Well, let's, let's get out of the secondary here, finally. Let's go to a linebacker, Bobby Wagner. Yeah, he always gets kind of outshined by the late Legion of Boom, but out of Los Angeles playing linebacker and tight end in high school, he went on to Utah State and was actually only considered a two-star recruit. I think that makes these people mad, boy, and then they end up going tearing it up in the NFL. Drafted by the Seahawks in the second round in 2012, is now a free agent with rumors of San Francisco, might join the aforementioned Richard Sherman. But in 2013, Seattle had the NFL's top defense, had the fewest yards allowed per game at 273.6, fewest points allowed at 231, and most takeaways at 39. And they were the first team since the 85 Bears to lead the league in all three categories. And that year, Bobby killed it, led the team with combined tackles with 120, 
five sacks and two interceptions, but he kind of gets outshined by that, that Legion of Boom. His accumulated stats through 2021 are Super Bowl champ 48, six-time first, six first-team All-Pro, second-team uh, All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, uh, 2014-2021, two-time uh, two NFL uh, tackles leader in 2016 and 19, NFL 2010's All-Decade team, he had 1,383 total tackles, 23 and a half sacks, 60 pass deflections, 11 interceptions, six forced fumbles, nine fumble recoveries, and four defensive touchdowns. Bobby Wagner. So, Ken, as a linebacker, he could actually cover pretty well. I, I was always surprised by that, and he's got Hall of Fame numbers that he's putting up. Do you think he'll get in the Hall of Fame, and, and, and what are your thoughts on him? So that's tough. I mean, um, a lot of times you gotta have, you gotta have the market to 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 get you to that that status as well. And uh, with the media being the ones that that vote this, uh, do, do they put him in a Ray Lewis, uh, Brian Urlacher type of status to where he can get that? I mean, stats stats. He he's he's got it. I mean, I think he's played he's played great. And you just mentioned. Um, you know, he, he's always been overshadowed, not even just by just that Legion of Boom, but by the other linebackers that are in bigger markets or, or they get a little bit more attention. But the guy's been playing lights out his entire career. Um, another decision that Seattle has made to, to release him, and I think it's more of the numbers, more, more of the, the money numbers than anything, but um, his, his play hasn't, hasn't gone down. So he'll continue his career if he wants to. But um, this guy has the stats to be, in the conversation, um, it's just on it's just on the voters and, and, and if they're going to allow him to uh, to put that jacket on. Let's move on to Cortez Kennedy. So first round, third pick overall, and he lived up to it. So 1990 to 2000 with Seattle, sixth in tackles all time on the Seahawks, and he's tied for third and forced fumbles with my guy earlier. So uh, and he's fourth in sacks for Seattle history there. Um, 1992 NFL Defensive Player of the Year Award. That year, he absolutely killed it. He led the league in sacks, tackles, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries. Just an insane year. He deserved it. And there wasn't even anybody close, in my opinion, that year. Um, he's got he's got three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, eight Pro Bowls himself. Um, he's on that 1990s NFL All-Decade team as well. And uh, the Seahawks, they retired as number 96. So it's up there in the rafters. He's in the ring of honor. And, of course, he is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Ken, how much pressure is there on a top, let's just say, top five, top ten pick in the first round of the NFL draft to live up to that? Well, we had Marcus Tubbs who came in from Texas uh, who was a top. He was a top. He was a first-round pick. And, uh, of course, when you come in and you look at, you look at a guy like him, you look at a guy like, like Jacob Green who played D-line as well, and and to to put yourself against a guy like that with the numbers that Cortez had, I mean, you got to try to at least live up to it to a, to a certain extent. I mean, this dude here was was a monster. Um, and if you can at least try to achieve some of what he did, then you'd have a good career. You'd have a good career uh, playing playing in football, playing in NFL. But this guy, I mean, he he did things that you just didn't see D Lyman do. I mean, and he made plays all over the field. And for a big guy like that to move like he did during that time, you see it now, 
and it's sort of it's sort of a normal to see these big guys moving and, and really moving fast and being able to 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 change direction and this that. But he was doing it in, in the '90s where where you didn't see guys doing it like that. So I mean, he was definitely well before his time. He was a guy that that definitely could have played like now and still made big plays. So um, I mean, Cortez is definitely one of like one of a kind with with just his personality and how he played the game. Um, definitely, definitely going to be missed, and he's definitely a guy that that will always be recognized as one of the top de- defensive linemen uh, in the game. So, Brian, give us our final player of the night. All right, Loka Tatupu, um, six foot tall, two hundred fifty pounds, uh, two thousand five to two thousand ten with the Seahawks, a middle linebacker. Uh, his father actually played uh, with the Patriots in the eighties. So initially, many scouts felt that Tatupu was undersized and too slow to succeed in the NFL. Uh, but he established himself as one of the best linebackers in the entire league very quickly. In his rookie season of 2005, he led the Seahawks in tackles, started all 16 games, had a pick six against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. Uh, in the playoffs, he had 10 tackles in the Seahawks' win over the Skins. And then he had a tackle for loss and an interception against the Panthers in the NFC Championship game, helping the Seahawks to their first ever Super Bowl appearance. And he was also named in a Pro Bowl. Uh, in 2006, he had a career high, 123 tackles, which was 12th highest total league-wide. Uh, that season ended with a Pro Bowl selection as well, and also the following season in 2007, uh, after which he also earned an All-Pro selection. Uh, Lofa had another solid year in 2008, but unfortunately, he began to struggle with injuries, he missed most of 2009, and by 2011, he was forced to retire at age 28. Uh, so he's kind of a what-if story, uh, but still, during his brief career, he was ma- able to make a very strong impact in Seattle. So Lofa, a very solid linebacker. Ken, I mean, it was kind of, you know, 2005 before that Legion of Boom really took over, but uh, your, your thoughts on Lofa? Uh, Lofa's my guy. Um, you know, Lofa came in the game. Um, I believe he was a second-round pick, uh, but he came into the game and really immediately uh, made his name known. Um, and, and and he's a guy that transferred when he was in college, whatever. But, I mean, he he came in and took over that position, uh, you know, and, and ran with it. I believe right before that we had Randall Godfrey in that position, um, an older guy, and we we sort of jolted that position with a lot of youth, him and Nico Cudavides and a couple other guys. But, I mean, he's a guy that flew around the field. He was a great run stopper in the pass game, in, in coverage, filling those gaps. Um, I mean, I, and I think, I think this guy, if you look at what Bobby Wagner has been doing, and no knock on Bobby Wagner, but I, I think if, if uh, Lofa would have kept going, uh, he had that potential to be that type of player, to really, to really be a guy that was making all pros and pro bowls um, but I mean, of course, it has to be a, a total group thing as well. But but Lofa was was a great player, a great teammate, and uh, definitely definitely somebody that I put as, as a top tier top tier linebacker. So our shout outs tonight, players that just missed tonight's list: Dave Brown, Jacob Green, Fred Young. Let's move into our vote. Can't vote for your own guys. Paul, who are you taking? I'm going to go Earl Thomas. So from one pick to another, I'm I'm gonna take Kenny easily. Kevin. Uh I'll go with uh Cortez Kennedy. 
Brian? I, I tell you what, I, I got to go with Bobby Wagner. I mean, all those all pros, he does kind of get overshadowed by some other guys, but man, he's just been, he's been one of the top linebackers for several, several seasons. So Ken, now the pressure's on you. You got to pick one that's left. We got Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Eugene Robinson, and Lofa Tatupa. I'm, I'm going to go Richard Sherman, uh, you know, just a, a smart guy that played a position uh, a, at a high level for a lot of years and made big plays while he was out there. Excellent. So legacy, legacy battles, top five Seattle Seahawks defenders of all time, Kenny Easley, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Cortez Kennedy, and Bobby Wagner. Nice job, gentlemen. Let's move into our Q&A for Ken about his career. Paul, you and I both got two, so I'll, I'll give you first. Okay, if the viewers Google Ken Hamlin, you're going to get a lot of results for Dante Stallworth. And I think if I had to put my finger as to why this is, I think it's this decapitation behind me here. <laughs> Look at this helmet. I want you guys to YouTube. Maybe Michael put a clip in there. The helmet goes straight up in the air, probably two stories high. I'm not sure. Ken, is that your best hit? Well, it's my it's my first big hit, my first game NFL game, my first NFL game, and um, uh, that really like started started everything off. I mean, um, I actually got a call from Dante after the game. And they, <laughs> we played we played in Seattle, and uh, while they were flying back, as soon as they got back, he called and he was like, "Ken, man, they got me all over ESPN, man. It was <laughs> messed up." And I was like, "Listen, I said, listen, you got to talk to your quarterback. That's that's, that's his fault." But um, I mean, it, it was a big hit, and, and it definitely, it definitely ignited not just for me, but it definitely ignited that defense. It, we were we were a team that just started really getting into that lift, that that sort of winning mode, and that was the year that we really started like getting things going. Um, you know, we had draft myself and uh, Marcus Trufant were, were the first two drafts in that pick, and uh, it, it was about getting that defense rolling, and that was definitely a statement to be made. So I want to take you to two thousand six the Tony Romo fumble snap. Walk us through that and what is going on in your mind while that's occurring. Oh, man. Um, first off, in the game, I mean, we, we thought we had two guys, two guys playing corner that was straight off the street. I mean, one guy was doing insurance. The other guy, I don't know what he was doing, but we, we thought that they were going to attack us a lot more than they did in the passing game, got into a close game. And that field goal, I mean, when he fumbled the ball, it seems like everything froze for a second. And then once he started running, my only thing was I can't let Tony – like, I think all of us were thinking this. We cannot let Tony Romo beat us to this goal line. Like, that's <laughs> impossible. And we will get talked about for days. And uh, Jordan Babineau coming on the back end, uh, I mean, it was a hell of a play. And uh, just def definitely awareness because it doesn't happen often. So, I mean, a lot of guys take that play off. A lot of guys relax. And for, for us to make that play and for Babino to come and, and, and really track him down, and every, I mean, it, that, that was a huge play that, that really just keep things going. Kevin, then Brian. So actually, I want to kind of piggyback off that question because then the following year, you joined Tony Romo. <laughs> uh, so what was it like joining uh, Romo, Witten, uh, Owens, and Dallas? And you actually led the team in interceptions that season. Uh, so what was that like going over to Dallas that following year? Oh, that was big. I mean, I, uh, me and Roma had one conversation about that play, <laughs> and we moved on from it. Um, but uh, you know, to have that team, I mean, we had we had a lot of great players 
uh, on that team. I mean, some that uh, like uh, T.O., who's already made the Hall of Fame, Witten, will, who will be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we had, I mean, the, the team, I think we got 13 guys in the Pro Bowl that year. Um, so uh, to be on that team, to have Todd Bowles being my defensive back coach, uh, it made things a lot easier. Uh, switching from a, a 4-3 through a 3-4 and, and really being able to play a little bit free and, and being able to just just go out and make plays and, and sort of have a coach who wanted you to go out and make plays. Um, so it, it was definitely exciting. Uh, definitely a great, a great group of guys didn't co- accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, but we definitely, we definitely made it an exciting season. Ken, you had a, you had a heck of a career at uh, university of Arkansas. Um, your junior season, you created 22 turnovers for your team. Uh, so what was it like playing in Fayetteville and how were you able to have so much success taking the ball away? Well, I, I mean, playing in Arkansas, man, that's like an NFL team for our, for that state of Arkansas. I mean, the, the fan base is crazy. Um, we got a lot of support from our fan base. Um, and then playing on the team. And we we were, especially on the defense, we were real competitive. Uh, I would always tell guys, I mean, me and, me and one of my, 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 well, my college roommate, Quentin Caver, we would always, he played linebacker, I played safety, and I, we would always compete. And I'd tell him, listen, I'm going to get this tackle. I'm, I'm going to beat you to this tackle. So we would always, I mean, he'd have like 20 tackles, I'd have 18. I'd have 22, he'd have 17. It was always be, and I was, I, I just wanted to fly around and make plays and be at the ball. And, um, you know, the one, the one thing that we teach a lot of players, especially younger players, is that if you're running to the ball and you can change speeds, then, then that would be counted as a loaf. Like you're not running full tilt. So I was always trying to be the one that was running full tilt to get to the ball. And uh, definitely when you get to the ball, then you cause havoc. And, uh, and uh, I did that a little bit that year. Paul, Kevin, Brian. And uh, last year I was in Dallas and I, I went by the stadium and unless you've been in it and seen it, it's hard to fathom. So I guess towards the end of your Dallas career, you played in the opening uh, season. I think that was built in uh, what, 09? Is that a, a landmark is that the stadium you you go to in your mind when you go to sleep at night? That opening night at Dallas Stadium. Have you ever been anywhere that's even remotely close to that? I can't imagine the electric electricity there. Um, when we first did the walkthrough uh, of the stadium, um, and they took us over there to sort of see the see the stadium and everything. And Jerry said he he even said he was like they should have never let me build my own stadium <laughs> uh, because you already knew that he was going to build something that was. That was just a, a, a statement. Um, and, and as you can see, he has every event that you could possibly think in it. Um, th- this stadium is amazing, especially during games. You know, you catch all of all of the players. I mean, even though you're right there standing on the field, you still catch yourself like gazing up at the, at the big screen uh, to watch what's going on and, and almost get yourself hit because a guy might be running right at you, but you're still staring at the screen. Um, just the atmosphere that he's built with that stadium has, has been, it, it was definitely a, a big, a big moment for him, big moment for the Cowboys. And that's why you'll continuously see different events in that, in that, that arena, because it is definitely something to be seen. So uh, playing safety, you got to worry about the deep ball. And so I'm just curious throughout your career, what was the, what was the most dangerous offensive uh, duo for a wide receiver in the, in the deep ball that you had to face? Oh, well, I mean, I would have to say the Rams. Uh, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. Um, you had Trent Green or Kurt Warner at quarterback. Uh, 
you know, Mike Marks being the offensive coordinator, they never lined up. The, the years that I played them in Seattle, they never lined up in the same the same for, formation twice in a game. So it, as a defensive player trying to di- like sort of like find out what they're going to run and figure it out, you had to really study and really like like zone in on what was going on. Um, and then, of course, because we played them and me and Isaac Bruce had a had a love hate more of of a hate hate type of a relationship. Uh, every game that we were about to play uh, St. Louis, the equipment guys EK um, would always post a whole bunch of pictures in my locker. So I'd walk in that morning and I'd have Isaac Bruce all over my locker because they knew that we were going to be going at it. So um, that was definitely. I mean, you think about it. They had those two guys. You got Marshall Falk in the backfield. Um, it was it was definitely a hell a hell week of, of studying to really get prepared for them. Um, all right, Cal, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back to week three of 2006. Uh, you picked off Eli Manning twice in that game at Quest Field in front of a loud yeah. and rocking uh, crowd there. Uh, do you remember that game? And how did you feel playing in front of the 12th man? Oh, I definitely. Uh, you know what? I remember that game for that and because. Uh, they had a whole bunch of false starts in that game. Uh, they, right, right. they, the, the crowd, the crowd. I mean, our fans in, in Seattle. Um, I mean, I know everybody feels that they have the best fans and everything, but those fans in Seattle, every false start they got, they got louder and louder and louder. I mean, I could be one foot from somebody and I could not make any verbal communication because they couldn't hear me. So it was all all hand signals the entire game. Um, it was exciting just just because they're always so ton- like tuned in to what's going on. So we don't have to pump our hands up to get them live. They know on third down they're already going. And um, I mean, you know, Eli, we we we've been battling ever since college. So um, when he was at Ole Miss, so I mean, we we've definitely he's been friendly to me. Uh, whether I was in Seattle, <laughs> Arkansas, <laughs> with the Cowboys. He, he's 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 giving me a few to, to sort of you know bump my stats up a little bit. So we'll get you out of this tonight. So in 2008, the franchise tag was put on you. A lot of players don't like it. Some do, but most don't. Your thoughts on the franchise tag, and then tell everybody about your cigar brand and where they can find it and get a hold of it. Well, no, I definitely um, you know I I always wanted to look more long term, um, and so. You know, coming with everything that happened with me in Seattle um, and then coming to Seattle, to Dallas and having to play on that one-year deal, uh, I felt like I, I proved myself and, and proved what I could do and proved that I was healthy and um, able to withstand a full year of, of all the banging and everything that goes on. Um, so when the franchise, I wasn't upset, but I, I mean, I think my, my agent, we all, we all knew that, uh, you know, we were, we were looking for more of a long-term thing. So, I just, I mean, I let him handle it. I kept training and kept, kept, you know, getting myself prepared, and uh, and it all worked out. And we ended up working out a deal. I remember I was at the, uh, I was at the ESPYS, and uh, me and To were out there, and uh, when I, when I, I actually signed the contract when I was at the ESPYS in California, out in Los Angeles, and when we went out that night, To was like, "Yeah, everything's on Ken tonight. Everything's on Ken." I'm like, "Yeah, no." But uh, it was exciting, man, to be able to get that going and, and really uh, know that I was going to be there for a few more years and, and be able to play a little bit more with that team. So that, that was definitely exciting. And then, you know, 
moving forward to retirement and, and what's going on now. Um, so I launched my, my cigar brand, uh, the Arrival Cigars, uh, a year ago and have been expanding that business. Uh, I mean, I've been enjoying, cigar, enjoying cigars for about 15 years, 16 years now. And uh, got more into it, got more involved with just the, the knowledge of it and, and learning about tobacco and about cigars itself. And um, been spending a lot of time in Dominican Republic and Nicaragua and Honduras and all these different places. And uh, launched my cigar and um, now just expanding it through different lounges and different places throughout, throughout, the, throughout the country and uh, slowly growing it. And, and just, uh, just, just me introducing myself and that networking of, of, uh, of talking with people and getting into different lounges and uh, enjoying some smoke with them. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Pro Bowler Ken Hamlin, for joining us. Awesome. I appreciate you, man. appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we appreciate it. I want to remind everybody, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on, and we'll see you next time. Everyone have a great night.